We are uh, we're alive, gentlemen. Get a name on this. This is thirty-seven. It is less than thirty-seven. If I can ask Bob before we start, just for the men, um, keep my mom and her family in there. Um, I had a soon talk with my mom and my sister on the way over here, and they feel that for both of my grandparents, probably the final week. Final week. Okay. They kind of switched over to um, morphine to help sedate and keep them comfortable. Um, I probably had a stroke about a month ago. Right. And they take him off of his brain meds because he has to be um, pretty bad dementia, Alzheimer's. But they've kind of gone natural with that and just kind of pulled him off of that. And my grandmother, I just found out, had a heart attack this weekend, which is like her third in the last couple of years. So. On the edge. How old are they now? 94, 95? 94, 96. 96. That's awesome. Married for 77 years. Man, we all wow. attain that. I mean, but it, it's, it's, so it's both of them, too, time. God, so both of them are in serious condition at the same time. <laughs> yeah. they're, and they're both too. in their house, so that's part. They're, wow. they're at that home. is um, hospice care, but um, it's bittersweet. It's they're it beyond is. like living a comfortable, happy life, which is going to show. So, it's just tough for family at this point. Yeah, that's right. Well, if you need anything during this time, I appreciate that. Just prayer. Yes. Everybody's well, taken care of. They've well, got plenty of help. You know, if you need something and yeah, you call a guy true. on a mountain an hour and a half away before you call me, I'll smack <laughs> you. <laughs> just, just know we're there. There you <laughs> go. There you go. Let's, uh, let's, uh, what's their, their first names? Madrid and Clifford. Well, good southern names. That's right. Let's uh, let's lift them up, shall we? Mm -hmm. Father God, we thank you for Clifford and Mildred and the years that you've granted them to be together. May we all find ourselves with a mate for that long, Father. We pray for their comfort now as the end of their days draws near and they get to spend time with you. Father, we pray not just for them and their comfort, but especially for the family members that are left behind. For the brothers and sisters, the grandkids, the great-grandchildren, Father, just pray that you would, uh, as a community, cause us to swell up around them, provide for their every need. We are grateful for the opportunity to do this and for the blessing that you've granted to this wonderful country. In Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Cool. On a lighter note, I really do owe it to them because I think without them, the Squitcherini parents may not have allowed me to marry their daughter knowing my family's background, but I assured them, I said, I've got a great example. My grandparents have been married for 70 years, so I do know what a real marriage is like. I can, Amen. I can assure you of that. <laughs> I can remember that quote. In spite of that, I still let him marry my daughter. It was a good decision. It was, it was, it was a good decision. He has a good decision. All right. For the vast majority of Christendom, I find a great anti-Semitism, and it bothers me. And the longer that I'm in this messianic movement, I'm more and more distraught by this seeming antagonism towards God's people. Of late, I've kind of put myself on the other side of the stick and thought, well, if somebody came up to you and said, you know, 
God actually chose Swedish people, and you're Italian. How's it feel to be left out? I think I just want to punch the guy in the nose. But in reality, that's exactly where the Jews are coming from. And some would say that they're pushing it in people's faces from time to time, depending on which Jewish people you deal with. But the fact remains, they're right. God did specifically choose them and only them. Not because of anything special, but because he wanted to. And that's an amazing statement. And that we would be without that choosing is something you need to deal with. Now, the whole adoption thing comes afterwards. I get it. But for your concert B-flat, non-Jew, Gentile, you got passed over, Buck. That's it's as simple as that. So, with that, we open our uh, chapter 9 of Romans. Comment. Well, I mean, that really underscores the urgency, borderline desperation you see from the Gibeonites and tradition holds some of the, the Canaanites. That's right. Who are like, look, we'll be your slaves. That's right. Anything. We don't care. Yeah. Whatever we got to do. Water part of the group. Um, yeah. And I think that that... And I think that that really is the appropriate response. I think the problem we have is really one of arrogance. Right. Those of us of Gentiles think that somehow we have a right to be God's people, mm-hmm. um, where God made it clear that not even the Jews had a right. And he's the one who gave That's them right. that, that. That's exactly right. And uh, we really just have to see it as, rather than, than being angry or bitter about that, we really have to see it as, if the Jews are the ones to whom God has chosen to be close, I want to be as close to the Jews as I possibly be. I love that response. I love that response. I I think there's a good responsibility there that I don't know that another group of people might have done quite as well. And Paul starts to delineate some of those things, and we're going to look at those first here with the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and so forth, and Torah. But bottom line, I'm reminded of uh, Fiddler on the Roof. God, I know where you chosen people, but maybe once you could just choose somebody else. It's it's a tough road to hoe, but they are the ones through whom he would save the world, not just through his son, but later the revelation of God, and eventually what turns out to be some great wars and so forth. So let's walk through this uh, this litany. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I got eight things that uh, he specifically gave to the Israelites that Paul delineates. The adoption, the glory, the covenants, the gift of the Torah, the worship, the promises, the patriarchs, and ultimately then the Messiah. And I, I love that bumper sticker. My, what is it? My Messiah, Jewish carpenter, or something like that. So... I'm, I'm interested, uh, especially in light of my <clears throat> barely being able to speak today, I'm interested in your comments on this topic and how, as, I, as far as I can tell, this man I don't know about. For the rest of you, I think you're all non-Jews. He, he could be an undercover Jew. You never know. Some of them sneak in, you know. But Glad to have you here. That's right. <laughs> I did just watch Mission Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Tell me, tell me what you think. Just, you know, pick something on this list and tell me your thoughts. 
How do you feel that they were chosen and not you? Or how do you think they've done anything along these lines? What is this really? It's not just Paul. I mean, Yeshua says almost the exact same thing the Samaritan woman. John chapter 4, he says, you know, the Samaritan woman's like, What do I have to do with you? Who's right? Is it is it the Jews that are right, or is it us half-Jews that are right? And Yeshua's response is, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is of Jews. Bam! I mean, he made it very clear that, I mean, when, when Paul talks about here that they were the giving of the Torah, I mean, we have to realize God entrusted the only copy of his <laughs> word. The only revelation of God was given to the Jewish people. To these people, that's right. I mean, nobody else got like, you know, anything more than vague hints. The only ones who were told, here are the words of God, were the Jewish people. Even even though, at some level, they didn't deserve that. Right, sure. Um, the reality is you, you can't ignore the significance of that. And they ultimately, while I'm not saying they're always right, they ultimately deserve um, the respect of being entrusted. The, yeah, those entrusted with God's words. Well, well, we've talked about before how grateful you and I are that they took care of it oh, for me? so long. We wouldn't have a Bible if they didn't receive it and then keep it. The oldest, the oldest complete manuscript of the Torah is something like a, a what, a thousand, nine hundred, something like that. Yeah. And yet, when they found the snippets in the uh, Desi Scrolls, they were almost identical. Yeah. I mean, and and, and statistically, like, like they one chapter that had any significant differences in like right. the entire talk. Right. I mean, unbelievable. That means that they meticulously kept every single word specifically. And given the fact that the Dead Sea Scrolls came from a uh, uh, something of a fringe group, it's possible their changes were just their own. I mean, the right. point is that, like, kept it word for word. Amen. That's I mean, the, not, not to denigrate the apostolic script in any way, but the consistency and the accuracy of those is nowhere near as good as the Torah. Now, it's still infinitely better than, you know, basically any other Greek ancient text or whatever, but um, the Torah was held in very high regard by the Jewish people. Amen. How beautiful are the feet that bring the good news. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Good. What else? Nothing else. Well, it's, it's no small thing. It's I got excited. I'm sorry. It's definitely, no, all. it's definitely no small thing that that the Messiah is is you know God chose the people to give the Torah to, but He also chose a lineage through which He would His Son would come into the world. And and, and that's that, that's not a small thing. That is huge. He could have been Chinese. He could have been anything. Yes. Anything in the world, and he was very very Jewish. I mean, there was no issues whatsoever yeah. when it came to his parents and uh, and and the, the, the place and everything. I mean, and and obviously it was how it was meant to be. So because so of I'm, the I'm prophecies. Do you not find it then? I mean, you recognize that, but you probably recognize re recognize that before you started keeping messianic Judaism. So, don't you find it kind of odd that most of Christendom is anti-Semitic? And doesn't want to have anything to do with or speaks poorly of Jews? How can how can they speak poorly in this fashion without also speaking or denigrating their own Messiah? Right, right. I mean that that the there that's why there's those two uh, 
anti-theologies or those two issues within Christendom, the uh, supersessionism and the uh, dispensationalism, because th those are the only two ways of explaining how you have a very Jewish Messiah, but the fact that he's completely different now. Right. You know, and, and that, and, that and the person that we follow Amazingly has blonde hair and blue eyes now. Right, yeah. All right, yeah. So, so you've just pulled out two $9 words, and I don't think Caleb knows what they are. So Or me. Well, so Isaac, so give me give some supersessionism definition. Okay, so supersessionism is essentially that replacement theology. It's where the Christian a Christian would say, yeah, of course, Jesus was Jewish. All the disciples were Jewish. Everybody was Jewish at that time, but we see clearly from Paul that they rejected Messiah, and now the Church has replaced Jews, and now Jews aren't chosen anymore, and now the Church has replaced them. And so. So before we go on, top of your heads, everybody try to participate. What's wrong with that? God's chosen people are the Jews. Okay, so God made the choice. It should stay. I'll get you. Next. His callings Definitely. are irrevocable. His callings that's, are irrevocable. Called, irrevocable. Yeah, okay, that's Romans. good. I yeah. like that one too. Sort of biblical. Try to be a little what more you, rational. His callings are irrevocable. Well, that's just if he does it, you can't Romans. take it back. Yeah, basically, like, if he says... You know, you're—I mean, Jonah's a great example, right? You're gonna go and tell Nineveh this, and he tried not to, and then, and then we he see did. he did eventually. Yeah. I mean, there's just no getting around it. Right. You know, Paul also <clears throat> says, like, who could resist his will? It's impossible. So if God says you're my chosen people, there's you're no, the, there's no you questioning. Are the well, the thought that comes to mind for me was if he chose those disciples, <coughs> whether or not some of them, one of them, right, was the one who. Um, went and told Judas. Yeah. Judas, right? So, but either way, God's not going to cho choose somebody. I'm trying to get my thought around this. I guess the one thing is, is Judas would not choose someone as a disciple, knowing that he's not. Well, get he, my thought on he this might. Correctly. He might choose a follower to be one of the twelve, right? knowing that part of the plan is, as the scripture already said, as King David said, my, my friend has betrayed me. Hmm. So, sitting in my table. Yeah. There it is. So he's fulfilling scripture by choosing a man he knows. And he said it at the table. Yeah. All of you I have loved. One of you is a devil. I hate it when... when the but he makes the point in his comments to the disciples that one of his calling cards, so to speak, is that I chose all of you, and I have proven myself, I haven't lost any of you, except, of course, the one who was destined to be lost. Because he so, was destined to be lost. But this falls straight back into, we see in Romans 9, Paul's point, really, in my mind, is to argue that the rejection of Messiah by some Jews was part of God's plan. Amen. He, he didn't just anticipate it, it was part of the approach and we understand it all no the point is that that doesn't mean well just because a large chunk of the jews rejected messiah that god rejected his people on the contrary that because it's part of his plan that means that god always anticipated this that's right it didn't surprise him right it's part of the plan so it's part of the plan that he chose the jewish people knowing that would be the case and hence paul says the callings of god are irrevocable Yeshua chooses 12. Or irrevocable. Irrevocable. 11 of the 12 stick with it. God chooses the Jewish people as 
all Israel shall be saved. And we'll, there we'll we go. So we're getting it. But, and, and a, but a cool, I think a really cool story that we are continually reminded of throughout the festivals is the coming out of Egypt and right. into the land. And like that is the perfect example of that too. I was just thinking about that as we were reading through this week where it's like there was just two. It was two out of everybody. Like tons of people were dying because like they were they were disobeying. Like right in the midst of all of the amazing miraculous things that were happening, the Jews were dropping like flies because of their disbelief. And then out of all of those people, the only two that were coming out of that generation were, were Joshua and Caleb. That's it. Woo! I mean, you talk about like a remnant. I, mean, I feel like that's a, a great example mm-hmm. of like sort of what Paul's encapsulating, right? No, no question. But anyway, sorry. still, we're supersessionism. No. Help me. Yeah, replacement help theology. me understand why that supersessionism thing just doesn't hold water from a logical perspective. Forget the biblical stuff. Just logically. Anybody? If he, if he lied about that, what mean what was stopping okay. him from lying about? I wouldn't. Us being I would chosen? never want to <laughs> associate lying with the Holy One. Blessed is he. <laughs> well, I saw we something that yeah, but, he is not but, a man that he should lie. Right. So let, let's 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 move it in a different direction slightly and say this. He chose a people, Jews. Supersessionism teaches that he changed his mind, I've got a problem with that, and chose who? The church. Quote the unquote. church. Okay, so which people is that? Christians. No. Which people William. is that? Which, which race is that? Is it still Italian? Jews. Still Jews though, right? Not well, the church. Jews. That's like it's confusing. Well, right? That's why it is confusing. Oh, is That's it Jewish? Is it Jewish Christians? Is it non-Jewish Christians? Well, it couldn't be Jewish Christians because he gave up on the Jews, right? So it's so it's only non-Jews? Well, wait so a minute. Which non-Jews? That's non-Jews is after Acts because those are all right. Jews. Those are all so Jews. But that's that's not that's not a race. That's you too. That's not a race. What's the whole idea of the church? We're all from all walks of life. That's not a race. So it's impossible that he could choose the church. He might choose the Swedish people in the church. They might choose the Italians in the church, which I think is more likely, actually. So but the Catholic Church, actually. That's, that's right, right. <laughs> but to choose the church doesn't make a lot of sense. All right, so what else doesn't work about that? There's still prophecies that have been fulfilled about, about Israel and Judah. Yeah. So, beautiful follow-through. He chose them, he brought Messiah, and... That's like only one-third of the, of the prophecies in the Bible. There's still two-thirds that haven't come to pass. That's why Israel becoming a nation in 1948 was so big. We've actually got miracles and prophecies coming to pass in our own lifetimes. So that could kick and, off the rest of them. Beautiful. And it's not surprising that that kind of starts to poke some major holes in the supersessionism. I'm not saying I can't speak for the Catholic Church, but it seems like in the Protestant Church there is... At least where I grew up, definitely a shift away. Less of a focus because on it doesn't seem to fit with things like Israel coming back. Because that does seem miraculous. Yeah, yeah. It is, but it seems that way as well. Another thing that's kind of inconsistent there with supersessionism. You have to discount some of the scriptures on those prophecies. Mm-hmm. For example. 
or force the round of a lock into the square hole. Yeah. Well, most of your uh, your, your diehard um, Presbyterians or covenant theologians would say Ezekiel 37, 38, that whole third temple, never going to be built. That's all just pie in the sky. It's just to teach us some stuff. It's not real. So then the other alternative in the traditional church was dispensationalism. Right. Which basically, if I can... Yeah, you go ahead. Essentially is the concept of uh, God has special times with different people. We could call them economies. Or different covenants with different people. And he makes different deals with different people. So the Jewish people, they had the Torah deal. They may have a end times post-Torah deal. Um, but right now it's the Christian's deal. And... Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, the Jews had their chance. They're going to possibly have another chance. But right now, it's Christian's chance. And, and when the rapture comes, the, the church is removed, and the Jews are left to have another deal, which is unfun. Yeah, oddly enough, in dispensationalism, the, the church always gets all the blessings, and the Jews get all the curses. curses. I'm not sure how that works, mm. but anyway, the point is that... It's convenient. <laughs> it's very convenient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But basically, a lot of the actual Torah so that it's more convenient. Right. Because right. Yeshua conveniently has said that these things are no longer right. And that's necessary. part of dispensationalism, the argument that with each dispensation, there are different rules. That God had a certain plan with the Jews, and he had a standard for the Jews, but now that we are no longer with the <coughs> Jews, we have a new set of standards, the law of Christ. And that is what we have to obey. And the, the biggest problem with this is, quite, quite frankly, it, it, there's nowhere in the Bible that talks about it. That's right. Absolutely zero. And the uh, the issue, I mean, I actually spoke with someone who um, was a renowned, well, not renowned, but he was a very good Bible teacher. He was with an organization that was renowned and high up ranking up in there. And I remember when I was, I was a teenager and I was talking to him because I was curious because I was still trying to figure out the whole Torah thing. And I figured if anybody... And you knew enough to be dangerous. <laughs> I did. Actually, at this point, though, I honestly didn't. I, 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 at this point, I thought, you know, if there's anybody that can talk me off the ledge and say that ribs are still okay, it was going to be this guy. So I said, what do I do about, you know, the Torah? Like, it says it's forever. There's not really anywhere... Heaven and earth have to pass away? Nothing at all that says it came to an end. I'm missing that, you know, Hezekiah chapter 2. I In my Bible, I don't understand. And, um... And his response was telling. It was basically like, well, we can't, we don't really, there's a bunch of different explanations, dispensationalism being one of them. But we don't really know. We just know that it is. I mean, this is a guy who's like, bread and butter is, what does the Bible say? I mean, he doesn't even use the, you know, the commentaries, you know, whatever. What does the Bible say? But that was the best he could do. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about that, that is what I, I think a dispensationalist problem is, it's literally in the textbooks, the textbooks, in seminaries, but nowhere in your Bible. I got it in my mind. I, I want to almost um, be compassionate to the Christians because you almost have this completely brainwashed because their Christ, their Yeshua, their Messiah, their Master is who they see as the one who has saved them, which we believe. Right. And for the Jews, who are the ones who and they're the ones who abandoned him and left him to die on the cross, then you can almost understand how they would see that 
well, yes, Yeshua is the one who changed everything for us and saved us, and they're the ones who left their own to die. Right. It it really, to me, not that they're right, but it does show sure. me where they've come from, sure. how it's almost as if they've brainwashed themselves through time yeah. to have the answer where it's like, yeah, I'm a very factual person. I just read it, and it tells me that nothing will ever change. But, but, uh, nothing wants to change. That's some baggage from back in the first and, part of the and, story. And what's, and, and what's their, what's their classy line? Everything changed at the cross. And there doesn't need to be an explanation for that because right. of the baggage that comes right. with it. Right. right. And it's, but it's on both sides, though, Isaac. Right. You've got the yeah. Jews looking askance at yeah. their Messiah. Because of what they've been taught today. It feels uncomfortable. It doesn't seem right. And then you've got those looking back at the Jews and going, they don't like what I see. Neither group likes what they see. Yeah. So. But that, to me, Romans 9 changed for me this time reading it. I think I've always read Romans 9 by itself. Okay. Um, or with, so you, with you, 10. Yeah. And so you sort of it in see with it as... Basically, this was John Calvin's treatise on predestination mm -hmm. that Paul wrote for him. Right, right, you right. Know. Nice. Um, but what I realized reading it through this time is it really flows into chapter 11. Mm. And really, chapter 9 and 11 are partners. And the point is to say that chapter 9 is almost Paul's defense of the Jewish people. Lifting them up. Like, rather than, I mean, even though 11 is the one that talks about how they had the covenant, they yeah, had the yeah, yeah. Uh, chapter 9 is Paul's explanation as to why the Jewish people have forsaken Messiah. And his point is to say that from a divine perspective, it's almost like it's not their fault. God shows this is how it worked out, and that's the way it goes. Now, he makes a point of saying, can we say the Holy One, blessed be he, you know, is cause evil sin? No, forbid. You know, you know, ultimately, we are punished for our own, our own issues. He uses examples that are non-Jewish, like Esau and Pharaoh, to make the point of saying that God's the one that decided this would play out. Don't point your finger at the Jewish people and be like, well, I chose Messiah, and you rejected him. The only reason they rejected him is God's plan so that you would have a chance. Exactly. And quite frankly, if we go back to our lesson in 2 Corinthians 3, where'd the veil come from? Why was Moses veiled? Who's stopping them from seeing the goal of the Torah? Who's stopping them from seeing Messiah in the Torah? Oh, I had it and I lost it. Dang. I really I appreciate know. the idea here because I've never really. God, yeah. God, I've never God. thought about it in that sense of. Which is really blind to me. But still, the sense of God has chosen these things to happen. Yes. Caused these things yes. to happen so that his full plan could come to fruition. Yes. And if. It, it's, it's a different perspective. When, when you think, wow, these guys have been blinded by God purposely chosen by God and blinded by God yeah purposefully blinded temporarily partially hardened so that he could give nobodies like me an opportunity guys darn it that's a heck of a God <laughs> that's a God I want to serve hello that's amazing grace 
we could just hum in the background as we go through the rest of the class. Sweet the sound. Sweet as, yeah. <laughs> Which is a great transition. Right That's thing. right, yeah. Which is a great transition into exactly what Paul's point is in, in, the, in these chapters. He says, on the one hand, Israel was hardened so that the Gentiles would have a chance, so to yes. speak, because I think Paul, Paul agrees with the, the Jewish concept. If every Jew was keeping Shabbat, Messiah would already be here. Boom! It'd be over. That's right. So, because they didn't, they, that, so you know, so in some ways, bought time for the Gentiles. Right. But then, because God allows the Gentiles to come in through that amazing grace, through giving them something they do not deserve, he now has created, so to speak, a doorway in which Jews who rejected Messiah, who in some ways don't deserve to be his people anymore, have a way back in. So it's in chapter 11, Paul makes the point of saying, look, your, your, your um, adoption as sons via you know the, the whole grafting in thing, yeah. actually in a, in a Paul being very Jewish, he's a light versus heavy, a whole of a homer argument, yeah. and saying, if God can take people who have nothing to do with this, who are way out of their element, who are still trying to be told, don't, don't worship the idols, and make them part of his people, how much more can he take those who have temporarily rejected him and but bring them back in? The but they're still part of his people. That's easy. So, I mean, in a way, it's like God has God has both, as Paul points it out, God has both, um, not only shown us mercy, but he has demonst- uh, has, has, has uh, in effect mandated, so to speak, that the entrance into his people is through mercy so that both sides come in to the grace of God. Amen. And here's something to back that up. Uh, those who are not my people, I will call my people. Yes. Who were her who is not loved, I will call love. And in the very place where they were told you are not my people, they there they will be called sons of the living God. I mean, that's exactly right. Yeah. Which is Paul's reapproach to a quote from Hosea, which is actually talking to Israel, right. that he then also applies to Gentiles. Yeah. It's, it's like an amazing balance of like humbling in both camps you know where it's like because that it's clear based on scripture and based on even Yeshua's first coming that Hashem sees the, the humble the contrite the broken spirit as as the thing that he desires most right, right. and so you have opportunity on both sides according to Paul to be prideful whether you're a Gentile or a Jew and both in both cases that's what makes you stumble that's what makes you fall yeah. if as Jew you become prideful that you think to the point where you think that it's only because you're Jewish, which is why you have a place in the world to come. That's an issue. On the Gentile side, if you think it's because everything was just handed to you and and it was it was taken away from the Jews and handed to you, well, that's pride. You're, that that's an, also an issue. Yeah. But there's an opportunity for both sides to be to be humble. Yep. In the midst of all the cutting off and unbreak, you know, and the uh, the temporary blinding and the stumbling block and all that. I, I loved that verse. Uh, in Romans eleven twenty three, where he says, And even they, the ones that have been cut off for our sake, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. And so we hope will happen soon and in our days. So I want to quickly bring your attention to, Rome, uh, to Deuteronomy 30 and Romans 10 as... Um, Paul literally takes the scriptures out of Deuteronomy 30 and inserts what we should have understood. Remind me of the Gutnik. Yeah, yeah, it's just like the Gutnik, right? Yeah, so it's adding in their yeah. understanding of the of the way that this should be understood. 
So, I, I don't know if I, I am in the camp where it was like, without Paul, I would have never yes, understood right. that That's was what right. the Torah was referring to. Yeah. Based, I mean, on, I, based I've, on the quote. From I've read Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 30 so many times, 11 through 14, oh. and it's like, uh, yeah, without yeah. Paul, so, no way. Yeah, so who, yeah, but Moses, even, good, good, as, good stuff. As, as unexpected as this might be to those of us who have no idea what we're doing, um, Paul is doing a classic Jewish approach to this. Absolutely. He takes the imagery and reapplies it, which is, in, in Hebrew, I mean, in, in, in Judaism, it's extremely normal, very common, where they'll take, like, one word or one concept, they'll look at another place where that same word is used in a completely different part of the Bible, in a completely different, different context, context, and they'll appropriate the meanings. They'll say, that essentially, the idea you know, from my understanding, is that the words of God are holy. God chose on purpose to use his word in both places. Right. They must so they be related must be tied somehow. together somehow. So Paul here, when he talks about who will ascend into heaven, he says, you know, that is to bring Messiah down. Who will descend into the abyss? Now, this is actually a, a play off of a, a kind of an idiom. The sea in, in Judaism it's, it's is like like Gehenna. It's, it's like, like, it's it's like, like death. death. Right. So Paul mm-hmm. is playing off of this imagery and sit, talking about that coming from the dead. Then he says, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. And I thought this was brilliant. I mean, he just, it's amazing. He goes into your mouth, confess with your mouth, um, you know, because confession is made for salvation. Well, then he quotes from a passage that says, all who call, you know, well, your mouth the Lord, unto the Lord. But then, and believe Ooh. in your heart, and he later says that belief in your heart is linked to, um, thre- uh, linked to righteousness. Well, we already have that quote. That's from Abraham. That's in Genesis. It says he, Abraham believed God as kind of righteousness. So he's, this is, again, class Judaism. He's pulling all these pieces, and he's not even bothering to tell you where they came from. because Well, you I mean, should know. You should already know that. So he's got, like, this, now the Hebrews is, like, crazy. He's We're going to get there. We're he's get got there. what they call it, stringing pearls. Yeah. So he's got pieces in his argument that are silent, that you that are not here. Right. And you, in order to figure out how he got from A to B, you got to insert C, which you can only do if you know the Torah. You know the Torah. But he does, and he's assuming his audience does. Certainly, the people, the Jewish audience would have. Right. Um, and I think one of the other uh, cool parts in this is that he talks about you know confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord. You know, you're asking yourself, where does he get that? I mean, he's quoting Deuteronomy. How could he possibly argue that claiming Yeshua is with your mouth is somehow related to? He says, call on the name of the Lord. This is from the first. But also, it's really important that the first of the Ten Commandments is, I am the Lord your God. There's already this understanding that acceptance of God as your master, as Hashem as your master, is the initial step That's right. in um, relationship and obedience to God. So Paul is appropriating that thought, pulling in a quote from another part of the knock, and then throwing it into Deuteronomy. It's exactly. I kind of started thinking too about some of the pearls he was stringing here and thinking like, hmm, does this remind us of a particular holiday and certain readings surrounding a particular holiday? Because it's like the tie in between the abyss and death and coming out of the abyss being raised from the dead. Sounds like a Jonah Sounds like Jonah. And then he he, he really harps on the fact of confession. Which is also a very typical Yom Kippur thing, straight mm-hmm. out of the Torah. 
So I started thinking about that too, because then Hebrew ties in how Yeshua is the fulfillment of Yom Kippur. Right. Uh, well, don't, don't you think of the, the verse that says, um, who is the Lord? Do you know him? Do you know his Do you know his name? Do you know his son's, son's name? name? Yeah. Hey, Proverbs 30. Right? So, there it yeah. is. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was kind of cool too. Cool beans. Relations. Cool beans. All right. So, I, I think... We've, we've kind of uh, exhausted this uh, concept that there's a partial hardening. We're the beneficiaries of that partial hardening that he chose to put on his people. So I, I just I just want you to kind of work with me. If, if that's the case, what Paul says at the end here, that thus all Israel will be saved. So... part of all is all is it all Israel I mean there's two the for those of you who don't know there's two theological perspectives <coughs> pardon me. one is that all Israel that's on the planet at that time when he comes will be saved that's not what it says it just says thus all Israel shall be saved the second perspective is all Israel is actually talking about the Israel of God, which is or are those who have called upon the name of the Lord and have accepted Messiah Yeshua as their uh, Savior. The third perspective is all Israel is literally all of Israel. I got you, then I got you. I say it is all those of faith. All those that. So the Israel of God. Israel of God. Okay. The believing. In God seeing that he is going to have a Messiah, that there is going to be a Messiah, whether they see him yet or not, they're still looking for that Messiah and know that God will provide it and that they will be okay. saved. So the fact that you're Jewish is really of no bearing, but if you're studying the Torah, you recognize that he will send his Messiah and you're trusting that that will happen as Rambam or Maimonides said, right. yea, though benefit. he tarries, yet will I trust in him. Right. That's that's who you think he's talking about. Alex. I actually have to just concur. With and there it is. Two on the same side of the table. Is there any, another table? How many witnesses you need? Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Can I get a witness? Right. We're done. Can I throw out a fourth option? Yeah, fourth option. Which is, I don't know. But that's okay. Because the... I think in the end, what I do believe... That's not a good option. What I do believe, what I do believe good about God is that God will definitively keep his promises and reward the righteous. That means that how God chooses to do it, which people technically fall in that camp, it's really outside my call. But my point is just to say that I don't feel like that, that changes anything. I think that what Jonathan says might very well be the case. It could be that, um, you know, all the Jews that decided not to commit idolatry, they get lumped in there, so it's option five. I mean, whatever. But, but your, your fourth option doesn't count, because all you're saying is God be God. I get that. I think that, that has to play through all I of think that's what Paul says. No, I think, well, I think your option is probably a description of the individuals in the group that he just described. Or, the, or either group. Of faith. What does that even mean? 
I think that's a great explanation of that, Although, where it's like, God is really the one who will show compassion on whom he will show compassion, and mercy right. on whom he will show mercy. And the one we who just makes know the choice. that it's the ones by faith who are the the Israel of God, so I, to speak. I do want but, to say but that, I, that what I, you mean. I think in the context that Paul is using, when he says all Israel will be saved, he's only referring to biological Israel. Oh, I don't think the oh, rest of us have any claim on that. Oh, no, I, I agree 100%. So, in that regard... Because, I mean, he uses thus, therefore. Right. In conclusion, right. he's talking about Jews, And the, and the passage people. he's quoted from is, I believe, in the Minka prayers in Shabbat, yeah. uh, the deliverer will come from Zion. The, the end of that is that the, your children will never forget my Torah. Mm. Your grandchildren. I mean, mm. so the idea yeah. is it's God's promise to the people of Israel. Right. So in that regard, I think that Jonathan and Alex's point that it's the faithful in Israel faithful in Israel definitely fits. Which I like mm. to use as the Israel of God, but unfortunately the Israel of God I think includes non Jews. Yeah, I, that's my that's my only argument so against I, that. I would, and, and I'm with you. As far as defining what that looks like, I have no say in that whatsoever. I have no opinion because it's it's too broad. I mean how do position. you know it's not a lot. only God knows who really falls in that box. Agreed. But we're here at the table to speculate for the beer. You know. Okay. <laughs> um, we're to be like Ruth. That's, that's, right, that's right. But I think that my, my dad once ourselves. came up with the argument of saying, you know, you... It's so easy to try to draw a line at, you know, praying the sinner's prayer. But then, it, but logically... My, yeah, my, my goal is not to go through a, the physical stuff or... Or what to do. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm with you. I don't want to go there. Yeah. I I just generically want us to look at it. And I think you, you brought out the point. Paul's talking about Jews. Ethnic Jews. What he's talking about in this chapter has nothing to do with anyone at this table. Probably most of the people are listening online. This is for Jews. All right, quick couple of side uh, rabbit trails for you. Uh, Mysterion, great word. Um... We get the word mystery, it's used about 30 times in the apostolic scriptures in the Greek, always translated as mystery, except when it's used by the master. When the master uses it, the English standard always translates it as secret. So do you, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, am I just noticing weird things because I'm weird? Or did the translators want to differentiate the, the master's words? Or did contextually it make more sense that it wasn't just a mystery, it was a secret? That's a difference, right? Yeah. If you and I have a secret, mm -hmm. it may be mysterious to him, but it's no, well no. known. Right. It's a fact. It's a known entity. It's just a secret. Well, that does make sense. If he has all knowledge and we don't, then... Yeah. Then it's a secret to him, but it's a mystery to the rest of us. <laughs> Okay, yeah. I like that. Good. That's a good. Yeah. That's a good answer. Good. All right. It, it's, it says something that he needed to, in, in on occasion, <coughs> even explain his stories to his own disciples, those yep. that were closest with him, that knew his voice, it's, it's according to the analogy. I'm speaking in parables to them, so they won't get it. You, you get and it, they're, and they're getting confused. Okay. Yeah, I, but that 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 is a brilliant tactic to make somebody just. Hungry and, and passionate for the answers. I gotta you know? know. I gotta know. Yeah, and just to and just to latch on that and, and to just keep digging, you know, which is a great 
analogy of the entire scriptures. Yeah, it's a bunch of know. stories, and why is it stories of people failing over and over again? Why is that? Why is that encapsulated in the Torah? You know, there's a great talk or a series by Rabbi David Foreman about what is the meaning of life, and he has just a great point about like why doesn't it just come out and say that? Why doesn't the Torah start with all right before we go on? Here's the meaning of life. Here's all you have to do. <laughs> But it does, it starts with like the whole creation and Abraham and you know all these people. And it's just, it was, it's a really, really interesting look, approach to it. And, and it, I feel like it gives you a healthy appreciation of why scripture is written the way it is. So we can relate to them, yeah. to the people in the book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and they to are, the, that and they too are humans. And, right. yeah. and to the creator. Come in. Makes creator. you feel like you have a chance. I was just yeah. going to say, uh, we know that Yeshua talked to his disciples a lot more than what's written here. You bet. <laughs> right. So you would think, wow, how is it they're not understanding? Yeah. 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 And I thought that it's pretty clear that the purpose of humanity was found in Genesis. Let us make man in our image, fellowship with God. Yeah. the primary purpose. secondary purpose is to bring in and implement his kingdom. The whole purpose of the garden. And was, we blew it. Yeah, and we blew it. So... To but me, he it showed it. the utopia that he planned for and how we blew it. So I think it is right there. It's just you got to read between the lines. The, yeah. the greatest commentary I've heard on the Bible from one end to the other is he made us, we blew it, he fixed it. In well, the we, end, we're back in the garden. That's right. And, and we get to him. serve him and rest with him in the garden. I'd love to walk in the cool of the day with him and just chat about calculus and physics and, <laughs> and all that. Okay, so 9 through 11, all about the Jews. What'd you get that you never saw before? Grant, if anything. It's all, same deal. Nothing? Yes, sir. Um, when it talks about through Isaac shall your offspring be named, uh, showing that we enter by the promises, not by being offspring. Um, I like that. That was, that was very interesting. I had never noticed that before. It makes you wonder why. That was difficult to, that did you want it to really. Yeah. So, <laughs> kind of all, all, the, all the children, that, the 12 princes that came from Ishmael. They're not part. They're, you know, they're but they not. can come in the way we do. Absolutely. Yeah. Because he, he they're non-Jew. Paul yeah. loves this argument because he uses the exact same one in Galatians. Um, but his point is, like, he's he's taking now he's taking a little more Greek side, taking a logical approach to say, well, if you say that being biologically related to Abraham is the key, why was that guy? Right. And why did he say he hated this one? Right. And well, he loved this one. Right, I, the, I, they were both circumcised. Right, they I mean, both you, were given the promise. Yeah, you yeah. get, you get. I mean, I mean, I think Paul even highlights a lot of those similarities. It's like, but and yet, what it goes through the seed, the promise is received, right. not through. And in Galatians, he's talking about the idea not through the work, works of the flesh, right. so to speak. And that, sorry, would you? But I was going to go along with that. That led me to the question of chapter nine, verse twenty. But who are you, man, to talk back to Elohim? Shall that which is formed say to him who formed it? Why have you made it me like this? Right. But that's a very, to me, a good question. Mm -hmm. I think of what if I was born in the Middle East where 
it's such a heresy to understand and think about the God of Abraham and the life of the Jewish Messiah. True. What is my options? What is my possibility of finding salvation in that circumstance? More or less, if I was born a woman over there. Um, so I sometimes question, you know, the lot in life. I'm glad I was given this lot and given understanding. But what about to those people? Why do they have the right to stand before Helmi and say, yeah, I mean, I could tell through creation that you are God, but my conception was um, misconstrued because of mm -hmm. the product of my mm -hmm. circumstances. Mm -hmm. Could be. And then... Is yet that he, a fair God? Yet he that, promises, no. if you seek him, you will find him. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the. I'm glad I don't have to play God. I mean, yeah. chapter nine. Of course, he doesn't play God. He is. He is. There's a difference. There's a difference. That's why he's so good at it. That's right. Yeah. Uh, chapter nine, of course, is. I'm sorry, Greg. I'm getting right to the point. Right. The chapter nine is really looking at this from a cosmic, divine perspective. I mean, throughout the scriptures. Everything is ultimately blamable back on us. We the ones who chose this position that we're in. Right. Chapter nine, just looking at it from, well, God's not <laughs> waiting for us to make up our minds. I mean, he he's already got a plan in place. How do we understand that? And that's what he he's trying to explain the Jewish people's rejection of sight in that context. But in that context, I think that his pottery example is very good. When we make things, we can do anything we want with them, and we recognize that that is our right. That's right. That it's not a. Um, that just because I decide that this vase will hold flowers, and this, it's you know, it's going to be a potty of the bag. Yeah, it's going to. Yeah, it. But that it has no right to come back and go. Wait a minute, that's not fair. We're the same shape. We're made out of similar materials. I think that I should get to be hold the flowers. It's like, look, not your choice. I made you. I make that decision. So Paul applies the same logic. Talking potty. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and, and as absurd as that sounds, it's exactly Paul's point exactly. to say that, like, how dare you go to the God of the universe who. who very existence you owe to yep. then to, he's holding you together even as we speak right you can't possibly come to him and say that's not fair because he's the only he's the invented fair right he is right. fair right he's, he's, the, he's, essence he's of the essence fair. of fairness fair. that's right good yeah all right anything else on what we might have learned here that maybe you didn't see before it wasn't what i learned i'm sorry Gary hasn't before <laughs> no, did you, you not had, finish it's been a while before you even hold on to this no, well just while we were at nine the, the thing that i probably hadn't caught before and, and just jumped out of me this year reading it was his point he uses not just Isaac because that was that was kind of where I was going to but uh, also the the calling and the destiny of, of the child the younger will serve the older like he, he oh, uses that. some of those quotes from Torah to like basically prove a, a an incredible level of sovereignty that I think is very notable um, you know obviously we've we've talked in the past um, about that difference between the tulip, basically, you know, Calvinism versus Arminianism when it comes to how we understand the sovereignty of God. And I, I think that th these are probably points that more of the, the Calvinism view might take because of, of the way that he, he lays out these arguments. But if, if nothing else, ignoring Calvinism for a second, like one thing that it really does do is give you such a high level of appreciation for exactly what you were just saying, which is our lot in life, our calling right now. The fact that we're even talking about this here in a sukkah, in a righteous man's home, <laughs> is like something that we should just be so humbled by. You know, out of all the people that he chose and called us, I mean, like you could almost, it's not scriptural, but you could almost apply one of those types of verses where it's like, even before you were born, God knew and planned that you would be in sukkah tonight studying his word. 
and these things. It's just like, man. And so this year, I believe that was all my heart. Yeah, yeah, me too. And and it's it's very it's humbling to contemplate the the expanse of Shem's sovereignty. I mean, it's deep, really. Then how dare I degrade? You know the gift that was gotten given to me by saying, you know, your commands are too burdensome. Right. I, right. I don't want right. to have to right. take on that extra lot. Right. right. When yeah. what blessings have been given already. It is extraordinary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isaac. I was just talking to Christine tonight uh, over dinner and I was very appreciative because during this time it's just kind of fitting that we're reading this uh, section of Apostolic Writings, but in eleven it talks about grace and action. And during this time of year, we have a lot of um, confessing and um, asking for forgiveness mm-hmm. with our fellow men, God, and uh, beating our breasts. Beating our breasts. And but eleven, it's by God's grace. Our actions have nothing to do with it. You talked about this a long time, or somebody talked about the class a long time ago, and it was the first time I had ever heard the idea that. We are not saved by our own actions, but rather that it is by Yeshua's grace that we are saved. He has chosen to work through us yes. and to save us. And Christine and I were kind of talking about it, that although our actions are not needed, it is our, act, our actions are only there to please God. Amen. <clears throat> After so the fact. I don't have to do anything. He's already done everything for us, and it's just really fun during this time to just by chance be reading through this area and realize all the actions the things that we are doing right now it's not for us it's just for God to please God Amen He said do it so we're doing it it was just something I've been thinking about during this time frame it's important uh, it's important here we are why are we sitting in the sukkah tonight because because the living room is being used by another no it's because he said during this week, every year, I want you to dwell. That means sit, you know, for you guys in the mountains. Sit in the sukkah. Spend some time in the sukkah. Here we are, in the sukkah. That's, that's the whole idea. It's it's not because it's comfortable. I'd rather be in the AC. Oh, that fan is amazing. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah. I chose the close spot myself. But, you know. So, right, do you have to sit over there? Yeah, right. That's right. Come on, brother. But let's you know, let's I mean, argue it. To, to Isaac's point, we just got done praying every day through Avinu Melkinu. And, I mean, just to emphasize, Paul speaks from a Jewish heart. The end of Avinu Melkinu, his traditional prayer is, though we have no worthy deeds, may you answer us and save us. I mean, it's the idea of the answer last now. like three stanzas of that song are... For your name's sake, for the you know, for your for not your because of us, but because of you, we are asking you to intervene on our behalf. Amen. And now during Sukkot, we say, "Please save now. Please, please save bring now. success now," which is the same Amen. concepts oh, reiterated. Right. And, and the success is, of course, like we don't have any deeds. We want the success to come from you, right. <laughs> you know, and uh, and the Savior we know as well. Okay, so. Final question. And I think Jonathan Sattel um, actually has this in one of his uh, songs. 
but if the partial hardening of Israel allowed everybody at this table to have a place in the world to come, then what will be their salvation? Right? So what's... They blew it. We got it. When they get it... What will be the cause them to get it? Not cause, but result. Are you... If they if they rejected him, and through that we got salvation. So their rejection brought salvation to us. Paul says, "What will their salvation bring?" It has to be better than our salvation. Life from the dead. Yeah. Life from the dead. Yeah, there it is. And Resurrection. And eleven twelve says, "Which is yeah." So if it's when when do the prophets say that? Israel will will accept Yeshua globally. When, when did the prophet say that the Jews will accept Messiah? The fullness of the Gentiles for me? That's not what the prophet's saying. That's what Paul says. Zechariah, I think he's right. Like, yes. When they see him. When they see him. Well, when, when, they, when are they going to see him? They will look upon him who they pierced, and they will mourn as one mourns for an only son. When will that happen? When they see him. When will they see him? When we all see him. When we all see him, because every eye will see him. When's that? Soon. Return to Messiah. Soon and in our days, I'm eight. That's exactly right. So when Messiah comes, they will look upon him, and they will turn to him, and they will mourn for him, and they will be saved. What happens when that happens? What things are about to come? Well, I, think that I would say to the days in, of Messiah. Uh, but if you think about this, but same deal. exactly what we're saying earlier, well, the reason why their rejection was essential for our salvation, because if they hadn't rejected, it'd already be over. That's right. You and I would never have been born. Yeah. They, they, because the world to come, what would happen? Well, we'd be, be in it. They'd be in it. The sages go on and on and on about like all these opportunities throughout the Tanakh in which... Oh, Mount Sinai. If they, you know, they hadn't melted in calf, boom, there boom. We're, we're having it right here. You know, it's like they've got, and the, uh, uh, you know, the King David was re was ready, you know, but the people were not. You know, Hezekiah was ready, but the people were not. And it's like over and over and over again, there's all these opportunities where it's like if the people of Israel had simply um, been obedient and accepted the Messiah the way they should have, then it would have all been over. That's right. And and I think we had that awkward time. Many, many, many weeks ago, when Greg present Greg Upham presented that, he was ready. Kingdom of Kingdom of Heaven is is at hand. Oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem! If only would. His claim was, had they, you have ushered in the kingdom right then and there, and we'd be in the messianic age at that point. 2,000 years ago, and everybody at this table would never have even been a twinkle in your father's eye because there would have been no father because <laughs> we're Gentiles. But because they had been partially hard, there was an opportunity for us. Cool. Come. Um.
what, what we good. talked about last week with uh, eating the spiritual side and yes. the flesh side. Some some of the figures um, in those days, there were the spiritual ones who were they were ready, right? And Israel was always feeding the flesh side, while the leaders were feeding their spiritual side. You know, and yeah, the other way around. Yeah. It was the leaders that were feeding the flesh. So, yeah, exactly. And that's right. that's what's happened at Sinai. That happened and, 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 uh, throughout the Bible. Yeah, good. Okay. And I was just going to say the best and most wonderful example we have, which we'll be encountering in the coming weeks, of what you just described, what that final time will look like, is the story of Joseph and his brothers and how. It took them not just seeing him, but something changing and him revealing himself to That's his right. brothers that got them to weep That's or right. mourn, as you just right. put it. He had to reveal himself to them. And, but not before. Because they were blind. The entire nation, including the Jewish people at that time, were saved because of Joseph. Amen. And because yeah. of the, 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 what happened yeah, by being rejected a, by his own brothers. It's a beautiful, beautiful Very picture of... The real redemption, and it, but, and it fits so and they well don't, with the timing too, and they don't like see you it. just described. They don't get it. Yeah, how can that be? It's but so obvious. He was gauging their hearts too to see if they would betray the young brother Benjamin like they did him. To yeah. see if they were ready for right. him to reveal, and they proved they did. Yeah, yeah, in the right time. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Amen. Hmm. Final comments on what most folks would call the first half of Romans. Uh, it is a a, a great treatise, if you will. Um, many folks call it the uh, the gospel in a nutshell. If you had only the book of Romans, could you understand the plan of God, the plan yeah. of salvation? That. And it's it's amazing. You got pretty much the whole deal there. We start with creation and the heavens there in the glory of God. The fact that he chose a people, they were hardened partially. And yet, they will all be saved. Awesome stuff. Yeah, it is better study outside. Yeah, I agree. We'll say that. I agree. Um, <coughs> Romans uh, kind of the short end of the stick in a way, because why would you want to read just Romans? I mean, you could read the whole entire story of. Sure, we well, get the detail. Now. No question about it. But if you want a great challenge, memorize Romans. That's a challenge. It is. But it's doable. I was going to point out, too, just as, as we're wrapping up with the final comments, like, I think we can all relate to Paul's words in Romans eleven twenty eight, where he talks about, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Because it does seem at times that the, Judy, the, the, the institution of Judaism, like Orthodox Judaism, can be hostile and, and feel at times like enemies. But I, I think just the fact that Paul calls that out, it shouldn't surprise us. You know, those, those times when we feel rejected or we feel like um, they see us as enemies or we see them as enemies, I, I think that is still a part of the plan. And Absolutely. for us to be encouraged the and not, partial not hardening dismayed. still goes on. Well, then right. finish the quote. Exactly. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So that, I think, is another beautiful thing that we should see past the hostility and see that they are children of Abraham I mean, and children of Jacob and uh, and how
how special that really is and, and about their role in us even being where we're at. Why else do you say, Father, forgive them? They know not what they do. Right, yeah. right, exactly. Their, their what art a, is what a perfect, seal, yeah, uh, Hashem, but they don't yeah. understand the path. Oh, yeah, that's a perfect I, quote. Yeah. I think that my perspective, uh, contrary to most theologians, and, and I know most of you know this here, is that we not only owe a debt to the Jew, the ethnic Jew, religious or not. But we should conduct ourselves like second-class citizens. It's not, I think, proper for us to put ourselves on par with ethnic Jews and to claim that we're equals and we're just as good and all of that. That is not what God's Word said. And if you want to go on a really tough search, take a look at some of the things the Master says to Gentiles when he's on the planet. You've, you've got a Gentile woman who, who wants his blessing. And he makes it clear to her, woman, what do I have to do with you? And she makes clear that she's her place. Even the dogs to lick up the crumbs from under the master's table. Guys, maybe I'm wrong. And if I am, you'll be better for it. But our, our place before God's chosen people should not be one of pride. It should not be one of arrogance. It should always, I think, be one of deference. Whether they know Messiah Yeshua or not, whether they're religious or not, the more we can show deference, love, honor, and respect to Jewish people, the more our master is lifted up. Read what he said about doing this to the least of his brethren. And it should change your attitude in that regard. It's hard though whenever I see people like Sarah Silverman and John Stewart sure. blaspheming. Absolutely. It is hard. Using their own it is hard. But you know what? Your chance of being in a room with either one of those people are so <laughs> slim. Your normal concert B flat Jew here in Charlotte is going to fall into an 89-11 percentage. 89% are completely non-religious. And your reverence will make a difference in their lives and in yours. The other 11% will be astonished. I can tell you that from personal experience. And yet, even in those non-religious types, somehow it feels like Messiah got a little bit closer after I watched the Twitter video showing Adam Sandler shaking the lulu. I mean, <laughs> wow. think about it. Like, wow. this is, what is what is Paul's point? What would their acceptance be but life from the dead? Amen. All of the Jewish people, no matter where they are right now, have at the minimum an untapped potential Amen. that so far exceeds what we can imagine, and and and, and deserve, as you said, that that certain that the deference and respect. I think it takes us back. We're talking about the beginning. You know, the Canaanites said, I don't care. Don't call me Jewish. Don't give me any of this. Let me carry Just your water and chop your wood. And you know what? Moses counted them 
in his declaration and the covenant and this goes to all of you who are standing here who are standing here including you your and that your children are not standing here your woodcutter and your yeah. even Rashi and the sages go on to say that the those people weren't Jews right and but they, they join themselves in. to Israel so that's what we want you know yeah. we don't Amen. don't deserve to be here but we have been given the opportunity by God to be in his people and that should be more than enough for us I mean final comments gentlemen I just want to thank you for allowing me to keep the mitzvah of not only putting up a sukkah, but inviting guests. And I got to tell you, you've been some of the best looking guests I've had all week. <laughs> Nicely done. Our pleasure. Nicely done. Nicely done. All right, let's see. Would you pray for us? Okay. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for um, giving us your word and allowing us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Pray that um, the things that you teach us would uh, impact the way that we live not just the things that say or the things we think about. Um, thank you for Sukkot for this holiday and for the privilege of uh, dwelling in Sukkot. We pray that uh, you continue to bless us through the weather and pray this in Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. We'll thank Joshua Krieger for listening online and for the Martin family uh, for listening online as well. So God bless you guys.